Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Now, if you are a guest visiting with us for the first time, we've been going through the Bible. We started in in September reading through the Bible and taking a a message each Sunday from a different book of the Bible. Today, you're going to be reading, or this week, you're going to be reading out of the book of Romans. This starts another section in the New Testament, the Pauline epistles. And from Romans all the way to Hebrews, we call the Pauline epistles because Paul wrote them. Now, I know you can't be dogmatic about who wrote Hebrews, but trust me, folks, he wrote Hebrews. Now, I don't know for sure, but it it all looks like from the grammar and all that, that Paul wrote that too. But you're going to find that Paul, who was Saul originally, is an interesting guy. If you think about how God had prepared him, his parents were Jews and Roman citizens, so he was born a Jew and a Roman. His Jewish birth, his Hebrew language, his Roman citizenship, his Jewish training, and the Greek culture... God used him in a mighty way to pen most of the New Testament. I like what Dr. Vernon McGee calls him, the Moses of the New Testament. We don't know who founded the church in Rome. Two good possibilities. First of all, those who at the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem may have been saved and filled with the Spirit of God and gone back to Rome and started it. Or it's very possible that some of the friends or converts of Paul in different provinces had gone to Rome and started a church or moved to Rome and started a church. And the reason we believe that is because he mentions 35 people in the book of Romans and he had never been to Rome and he mentions them by name. So it's very possible that that could have happened. The book of Romans has more Old Testament quotations than any of all the other Pauline epistles or all the other epistles actually in the New Testament. And even though it's not the first book that he wrote, it's first in our New Testament as far as the Pauline letters because it is the greatest theology book in the New Testament. When you read Romans, you find how where we stand, how we were condemned in sin, how Jesus saved us, how we're justified in him, how we now are being sanctified in him. You find all the theology you need to understand the rest of the Pauline epistles, the rest of all the epistles in the New Testament. It's the foundation book upon which the rest of the truths of God's revelation builds. And so today, I want to pick the best part of Romans. Chapter 8, I begin reading in verse 1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, New King James in the King James Version has this phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The earlier manuscripts do not have that because it's exactly the same phrase in verse four. So if you have a different translation besides what I'm reading, it may not have that phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Doesn't mean there's an error in scripture, just means that the different manuscript used in translations. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're not, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you, would put, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want us to talk about the liberty that you have in following Jesus today. But first, this story. In medieval times in Europe, there was a peasant who had a horse and a cart and he would deliver goods for people to make a living. One day his horse died and he did not know what he was going to do. So he went to the, the priest and he told the priest what the problem was and the priest said, don't worry, come with me. And they marched up the hill to the baron's estate right into the barn where there were lots of horses. And the priest said, take your pick. And the peasant said, there is no way I'm going to take one of the baron's horses. And the priest said, no, it'll be okay. You go ahead and take one of the horses. So he picked out one of the finest horses that would pull the cart and he led him back downhill. And the priest went in the horse's stall, laid down and went to sleep. About two hours later, the baron happened to come into the barn, was examining his horses, and he saw the priest asleep in the horse's stall, and he woke him up and he said, Father, Father, why are you sleeping in my horse's stall? Well, the priest looked a little bewildered and said, Praise God, it must be a miracle. I must have been forgiven. And the baron said, What are you talking about? And he said, well, back when I was a young priest, I was hearing the confessions of a lovely young lady and, and things got a little out of hand and you know what happened. And the baron said, yeah, but why are you in this horse stall? He said, well, God punished me and reincarnated me as a horse. And now I must have been forgiven and he's put me back as a man. So the baron said, this isn't in the Bible, folks. Don't look at me like this is serious, okay? <laughs> Some of you are going, really? This is a joke, okay? 
so the, about a week later, the baron is down in the village and he's walking among the people and he sees this horse and cart and he says, that horse looks very familiar to me. He goes over there and sure enough, his brand is on the horse. He looks the horse in the mouth and sure enough, it's the baron's horse and the peasant is standing there trembling, wondering what's gonna happen. And when he realizes his horse, he backs up in front of the horse and he looks at it and he said, well, father, I see you've been at it again. Do you ever still sin? If you said no, you just did. All of us still struggle with it. Think of all the sins you've ever committed. You can't remember them all. Even the ones you omitted. The Sunday school teacher asked a bunch of kids one day, what are the sins of omission? And one little boy said, those are the sins you ought to have committed and haven't gotten around to yet. The first three chapters of Romans, you find everything looks bad. You find how man is, is um, separated from God, how he is wicked to the core, he's totally depraved, he's morally adrift. Then in chapter four and five, Jesus Christ is introduced and he's the light in a dark world. In chapter six, sin no longer has power over us. But then in chapter seven, Paul begins to lament about doing things that he wish he wouldn't do. And how he meant to do this and he didn't do this. And in fact, it's summed up in verse 24. If you look at chapter seven, it says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's why the word therefore is in verse one. Because now you see one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible. In fact, verse one is, is just called a jewel. Uh, it is... One, if you haven't underlined it in your Bible, you just need to underline it. I want us to talk about our liberty in Jesus. There are a lot of religious people in the world, but they're in bondage. First of all, notice the position of freedom. If you don't hear anything else I say, you hear this today. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation is a word only used in Romans. It's used two other times in the book of Romans in chapter five, in verse 16 and verse 18. And when we think of condemned, we're thinking of the verdict. You've been condemned, but actually the word thinks of the punishment of the condemnation, the wrath of God that's going to come. He said, you are no longer under the punishment. It's not going to happen to you. And the word no is written as an emphatic negative adverb of time. It means this. You are free from condemnation now. You don't have to wait till you die to realize you're going to go to heaven and you won't face the wrath of God. If you have followed Jesus Christ as your savior, you're under no condemnation right now. Can I get an amen for that? Not for me, but for what God has done. You don't have anything to worry about. It's not based on anything you do because it says you must be in Christ. Now, what does that mean? A lot of times you can go to the Old Testament to find a great illustration about a truth in the New Testament. To be in Christ 
Well, I believe in Christ. No, that's not to be in Christ. What does it mean? Let's go to Noah and the ark. When you go back to Genesis and you read about Noah building the ark, it says that the ark, when it was getting close to being finished, was coated or covered inside and out with pitch. It's very interesting that the same Hebrew word for pitch is used elsewhere for atonement. And so God put them in the ark. Chapters seven, I think, tells us that God shut them inside the ark. Now, he didn't tell them, now, Noah, now that you've finished it, put eight pegs out on the outside, and each one of you hang on to a peg, and as long as you hold on to a peg, you're not going to drown. But if you let go, you're history. No, it says the Lord shut them inside the ark and sealed it. So now, what is between the family and the ark, Noah's family, and the waters of judgment outside. The pitch, the wood and the pitch, the atonement that Jesus has made. God has put you and me in Christ, a sphere, whereas his wrath and his punishment and his judgment will never get to us. That was worth coming for right there, wasn't it? Now, you know, Paul wrote later in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life by which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But I would dare say that either consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously, there are a lot of people who are walking around in a guilt trap because they think of the things that they have done no one else knows about. All of us have them. We've all got those skeletons in our closet, something that we wish we hadn't done, and and if somebody else found out about, we would be embarrassed. But you know what? You can't get on with your life because you just can't get past the past. But it's hard for us to live in the here and now because we keep living in the back then and there. But I want you to hear this. Here's an amen moment for you. When you give your life to Jesus, you no longer define yourself by what you've done wrong, but instead define yourself by what Jesus has done right. And that is he has saved you and me. We've been delivered. There's no, now, no condemnation, none. It's hard for us to fathom. You mean God's forgiven me? Absolutely he has. If you're in Christ, he has. That's your position. Who provided that? Let's look at the provider of it. Verse two. For the law of the spirit of Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now the word for relates back to the reason there's no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? We know that Jesus died for our sin. I want to illustrate it this way. 
There are certain laws on this earth that you can't get around. One of them's the law of gravity. Aren't you glad we have gravity? Unless you're falling. But we have gravity, otherwise we'd all be floating around. I have in my hand a coin. It's not a real coin. It's just some type of coin here. But if I were to put this coin on this pulpit and knock it off, where's it going? It's going to the floor. Why? Because of the law of gravity. I can't beat the law of gravity. I can throw this thing up as far as I can. It's still going to come down. But if I knock this off and someone, or it's going to be me in this case, someone catches this, Okay, now there's a higher law at work here. And what is that law? It's the law of the spirit of life in my arm is greater than the law of gravity. Are you with me? If you go out to the airport and you stand by one of those big airplanes and you're thinking, how in the world, especially with my luggage on it, is it going to get off the ground? (laughs) Or Laura's luggage. You know why? Because the law of gravity is going to keep it on the ground, but the law of thermodynamics is a greater law above that. Now, where this breaks down is that this coin does not have a will. You and I have a will. And the law of sin and death, condemnation, is where we were. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ is now a greater law that delivers us from this. And now we can live above the sin and death that our flesh wants to to live. So the third thing is the path of freedom. Notice in verse three, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. Now notice this phrase, in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Did you see that phrase in the likeness of sinful flesh? Now, if one of those words is left out, it becomes heresy. And Paul was very careful in how he wrote this, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, if he had just written in the likeness of flesh, he would have stated that Jesus was not human. And we know for a fact that he was human, that he became the God-man. If he had said he came in the sinful flesh, he would have said Jesus sinned and that way we know that there would have been no way that he could have forgiven us of our sin. So when he writes in the likeness of sinful flesh, he was God becoming man who did not sin is what he's saying. And because he did not sin, and earlier in Romans 3.23, it's 3.6.23, 623, the wages of sin is death. Someone died for us because he was without sin and God put his sin, your sin and my sin on him. He didn't have sin. God put on him our sin. He did not die. He did not sin. He died for our sin. I'll get it right here in a minute. And he he cuts to the chase in verse four 
when he says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's not an admonition. That is a statement that applies to all believers. The word walk is our habitual way of life. Now notice in verse four, the righteous requirement. It's singular. What is the righteous requirement of the law? That's fulfilled when we walk according to the Spirit. What, do you remember what Jesus said the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord your God with all your being and your neighbor as yourself. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are able to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we're able to walk in the ways that the Holy Spirit wants us. And you'll notice it didn't say that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled by us. It says in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, we have this position. We're under no condemnation. And the provider is the life of Jesus Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, gives us a power over that. And the path to that is through Jesus Christ because God sent his son to die for us. But I want to finish by talking to you about what does that mean for you and me? And I got to do it quickly. The power and the product now that we are free in Christ. You see, there's a lot of people today who, who say, well, I'm under grace. I can live like I want. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I can do what I want because I don't have any condemnation in me. After all, I'm, I'm free now, so I can go live just like I want. Oh, no, 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 you can't because the Holy Spirit's not gonna let you do that. You have life in you. The Holy Spirit has come into you. God does not free us from our sin so that we can do as we please. He's going to make us into the likeness of him. He's going to transform us into the likeness of his son. He wants us to be like him. We're the lights in the world. We're the ones in the, light, in the darkness now showing other people the way. There are a lot of people, though, who are like Jason, who've been naughty, and mom sent him to his room. She said, now you go upstairs and you pray that the Lord will help you make, a, make you a better boy. <laughs> Jason goes upstairs. He kneels beside his bed, and he reluctantly prays, Lord, please make me a better boy. But if you can't, I'm real happy the way I am. <laughs> well, God doesn't leave you the way you are. He makes you new. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? And by the way, the Holy Spirit up to chapter eight has been mentioned three times. It's mentioned 18 times in this one chapter alone. So it must be something to it. So what does the Holy Spirit do? First of all, the Holy Spirit governs the mind of believers. Look at verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be. You see two kinds of people here. It's not based on anything humanly. It's not based on our race or our economic status or our age or our looks or our education or our talent or anything. It's based on the fact that some people have followed Jesus and some haven't. And those who have followed Jesus set their minds according to the spirit. 
and those who haven't followed Jesus set their mind according to the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And according to refers to the spiritual nature, literally indicating our disposition or our bent towards something. We live either toward the spirit or either toward the flesh. There's a difference between those who've accepted Christ. And the word set your mind refers to the the thought patterns. It doesn't refer to your intelligence. It says the direction that you want to go with your life. Where are you going? You're thinking about this. Some of you just graduated. You're thinking, where am I going with my life? Where have you set your mind? Well, that's what the people who've given their life to Christ set their minds on spiritual things. And those who don't know Jesus set their minds on the flesh. And that includes philosophies and religions which appeal to the flesh. Let me tell you something. You've already decided a way you want to live. You can find a religion that'll make you feel good about it. I use the word religion on purpose. Because when God set you free, he said, I've got a direction I want you to live. I want you to live in a spiritual realm. And so you can decide, well, you know, there's part of the Bible I don't like. And I, 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 I'm telling you, there are places you can go where they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Doesn't matter what you want to hear. You need to ask, you need to ask what does God say about it? And I want you to notice in verse 6, it says to be fleshly minded, carnally minded, is death, which tells you that a person who doesn't have Christ in their life is already spiritually dead. You want to know why people act the way they do? You wonder how can mankind be so depraved? How can they come up with these ideas that are so contrary to the word of God? You just go, How can they think that? It's because they're dead. Spiritually dead. They have no capacity for spiritual things until they come to Jesus Christ and realize they're separated from God. They're spiritually dead. I hate to tell you this, but lost people, they act like lost people. (laughs) They do. And we, and, you know, and we used to be that way too. People can be religious. You can't get more religious than I've been. I was born in the church. Or at least I thought I was. But you can still not know Jesus. There's a man who used to go to revivals. He loved to get up and testify. He made his witness repeatedly, publicly admitting his past sin. He would say, I've done it all. I've cheated. I've stolen. I've pushed dope, spent time in jail, broken all the Ten Commandments. And then at the end of it, he said, but I thank God through all those wicked years, I never lost my religion. (laughs) Well, he may have had religion, but he didn't have Jesus because you don't live that way. Can a Christian sin? Yes, we still do. When you are saved, when you ask God to forgive you, you realize you're separated from him, you ask God to forgive you, you place your life in his hands, you invite Jesus to come into your life. 
your spirit is given life immediately. And your mind, emotions, and will begin to change because the spirit of God begins to transform your soul. But when is the the flesh gonna be redeemed? When Jesus comes again. And so meanwhile, you're still stuck in the flesh. And doggone it, the flesh has a lot of desires, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit governs our mind, but it also generates the motives of believers. In verse eight, it says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but those who are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in them. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. The word dwells means be at home in the flesh. Means that your your desires, your motives, everything is done by what you feel like doing. Have you ever had anybody say, well, I heard this is what the Bible says, but I feel like this you go by what God says not by what you feel it generates our motives I want to live for the Lord yeah do I still struggle ask Paul look at chapter 7 but yeah the Holy Spirit dwells in us it's the home where he dwells which brings me to the last thing the Holy Spirit guides the manner or our lifestyle of believers. Now, I want you to notice something. I know you filled in the last blank, and it's time to go, but I'm not finished yet. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, he uses it one other time, the singular name Jesus in the book of Romans, chapter three, verse 26. Why does he use the human name of Jesus here? Most of the time, it's Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. Why does he use the word who raised Jesus from the dead? His human name. Was there ever a time in Jesus' life when he was weak? Now, I didn't say he wasn't God, but was he weak when he went to the cross and he died? But notice what it says. He calls attention that Jesus was in the place of weakness, but God raised him from the dead by the Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus is dwelling in you and me. And Jesus didn't die on the cross just to get us out of jail. He came back from the dead so that when we got out of jail, we could keep from being the person and doing the things that got us into jail to begin with, spiritually speaking. The flesh acts like a jack-in-a-box. You know what this is? It's supposed to be a jack-in-a-box, but it's a Santa in the box, okay? Same principle. There's a little spring in there and you wind it up and you play the music and then it's gonna come springing out. What keeps that spring compressed in there? This little clip right here. Now, I want you to imagine that spring is the flesh. (laughs) It's in us. And it's always trying to come out. This little clip is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can keep it in there. 
But when you take your eyes off of the Lord or you don't allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you, then it's, the flesh always pops back out, doesn't it? So how do you keep that? How do you keep, how do you keep the lid on it? <laughs> That's a way to put it. How do you keep the lid on the flesh? Well, there's several things that I think you need to do. First of all, you gotta recognize the sin, in, the, the, the sin that is present in our flesh. Don't ever say, I won't ever do that. You won't ever do it under the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're capable of doing just about anything in the flesh. You need to have a heart that's fixed on God. Psalm 57, seven says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. We meditate on God's word. Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I treasured or hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You commune with God regularly. To pray without ceasing doesn't mean you sit at home with your head bowed in a dark closet praying all the time. It means to have a God consciousness. Have a conversation with God. Some people's conversation with God is always an exclamation. Oh God! <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having a conversation with him. Talk to him. Meditate on his word. Practice obedience. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And we're told in Ephesians to be filled with the spirit. Be ye being filled is how it's written in the, the text. It's a continuous thing. Lord, I need a continual filling of your spirit. You don't get, you get the Holy Spirit once when you get saved. But allowing him to fill your life every day. I mean, you start your day off by saying, Lord, please use me today in a way I never dreamed possible. Don't let my flesh pop out. <laughs> you think of that jack in the box. I need you to keep me in control. That's why one of the fruits of the Spirit is meekness, which means control, gentleness, Patience, love, that's not in the flesh. It's not. You want to get a good idea what the flesh is about, look at a newborn baby. They want everything. They don't care about you. They do not care about you. As long as you're giving them what they want, the Holy Spirit changes our life. Folks, if you don't leave today thinking about, I am free I, I'm free to live my life for the Lord. And now the Holy Spirit will help me control my flesh. If you don't know Jesus, you can't do any of this. You can come to church till you know every song by heart, but if you don't know Jesus, it won't change your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who may have gone to church a long time. They may have, they may have uh, been religious. We know there are a lot of religious, miserable people in the world today. 
And Lord, they're in bondage. They're trying to earn their way to heaven. They're trying to make peace with you by thinking they, make, they can live right, right. And yet our flesh is so weak that we don't even come close. And yet you have provided a path to the freedom to be saved, to walk in you. I pray now you draw people to you. That they would turn from their sin. They would ask you to forgive them. That they would believe in their heart that Jesus died for their sin, was buried and rose again the third day and then commit their lives to Jesus Christ and your spirit will come and indwell them all by faith, by grace. I pray for those today who may need to be baptized like these. I pray for those who may need a church. I pray, God, for those you're calling to special service, whatever it might be on their heart, you lead and guide them. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.